1: With Alex and Fochie, Alex and Fauci Alex and Alex If I put our Jackson in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? How we can go be? head to head, call out your top three, call out your top three. Look at the switch from Dorte, now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton the point. This is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Jalen Smith for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one
2: podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Smooth.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. It is Sunday night, and I'm here with Evan Sattery of BasketballNews.com to talk about the Pacers' two games over the weekend. Evan, how's it
2: going, man? Doing great, Alex. Thanks again for the invite here. Like you mentioned, you're talking here on Sunday night. Pacers is wrapped up their first week of the season. Kind of what we expected, but I think early indications are it could be a lot more fun than we expected, which could be a, a lot of fun for fans out there.
1: Man, I tell you what, if you watch that Spurs-Pacers game on Friday night, I was in the arena for that one. It was not a fun game. It, it honestly took until about six minutes left in the fourth quarter for it to get turned around, and that's because they had a franchise-tying record of 49 points in the quarter. To make it a game, ended up losing by a three. Benedict Mather had a chance to tie it and unfortunately did not connect. But, you know, that game to me was something that kind of showcased that this roster has is, is got some problems and some of these combinations have problems. And we saw Rick Carlisle then make a starting five change against the Pistons. So I guess we can just go over that Spurs game really quick because it was a, it was an ugly, ugly game defensively. What were your thoughts on that game?
2: Yeah, like you mentioned, ugly across the board, especially defensively. Uh, like, we it was easily transition defense. The Pacers just was non existent on that. And, I mean, that's what you expected from this team, especially with Noah Miles Turner. I mean, Yaka Pertle dominated down low inside on, on the boards and around the rim. We saw the hack of Pertle late in the game, but I mean, it's just transition defense, your lack of aggressiveness inside, and your inexperience down low. I, I think that's really the three main points that we saw. Uh, Friday against the Spurs, there. I know the Spurs are an inexperienced team themselves, but it just seems like the Pacers weren't up for that matchup on Friday until, like you mentioned, late in the game there, when we saw Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mathurin kind of get going offensively based off the hack of Pirtle that we saw.
1: Yeah, I mean, the hack of Pirtle made that quarter extremely long and it extended the game, and you play the game and it, and it worked out a little bit, but Purtle, I think, ended up going like 12 or 20 or something like that from the free throw line. So it wasn't like it was like terrible, but it wasn't great either, and I thought Josh Richardson like, just torched the Pacers. Six of eight from three. The Pacers, while they are a bad defensive team in, in terms of the uh, interior, they were terrible on the perimeter. I mean, they were just giving wide open three after wide open three, and the Spurs shot an ungodly 54.8% from three, 17 of 31 that game, so that's not really the Spurs' M.O. either, and... It was just kind of sad to see the Pacers play that way, but it was great to see Benedict Matherin and, and, and Tyrese Halliburton play well, and I felt like Gogo Batadze played decent in that game. I thought when James Johnson came in the game, he actually provided some positive minutes for him, and then um, the story of that game to me, though, was probably Andrew Nimhart getting his first minutes here as a rookie, and I'm curious, what were your thoughts on Andrew Nimhard in that game?
2: Yeah, super impressive. I mean, coming into the pre-draft process, Al Gonzaga, he was viewed as a high-floor player, but the way he moves around the court, very reminiscent, I would say, of like a Malcolm Brogdon, the floor general, a guy who knows where to go on the floor. Great shooting stroke. He, it's a very quick release too, as well. He's a savvy defender, even though it's been inconsistent so far in the first week of the season. I think he has all the goods to be the Pacers' long-term backup point guard, be their third guard behind a guy like Duarte or a guy like Mathurin and Tyrese Hallbert, and a point guard, especially. I think Nemhard's a guy to me that could be a 38% three-point shooter, give you about five, six assists, a couple rebounds, about eight, 10 points per game. It, I mean, right away, I know it's very early, three-game sample size, but just based off what we've seen, and this probably going be a main trend throughout the show, talk about some of these young guys, but when you see how good these guys are playing with extended minutes, Alex, it makes you think more about the veterans like TJ McConnell, Buddy Heal, Miles Turner, like, what exactly, what kind of balance is Rick Carl going to have to do here? Because you're seeing these young guys, the more minutes they get in favor of these veterans, they're really taking full advantage of that.
1: No, you're exactly right. I mean, I thought Nimhart was great. He was a plus 11 in that game. Uh, Matherin was a plus nine, and T.J. McConnell was a plus seven, as well as Isaiah Jackson, a plus six in that game. So that was probably some of your better lineup combinations out there. But I felt like Nimhard had a really nice play there at the end of the fourth quarter where he took a charge to get the Pacers the ball back uh, when they were pressing. And it's just like, he just does some of these little things that you probably weren't expecting from him. But yeah, I mean, you talk about it. Jalen Smith, um, he really struggled in that game Thursday against the Spurs, only played seven minutes, came back into the game in the fourth quarter and went out with uh, with an injury, got hit in the face by Yaka Purtle and wasn't able to return after that. So um, it was really cool, though, because the Pacers had a game the next night against the Detroit Pistons, and I think everyone was really kind of hyped up for this because of the Jaden Ivy versus Benedict Matherin, uh, the rookie duo right there going against each other. But it was not just Matherin and Ivy that kind of were the story, but we saw the bigs really have good games in this, and I thought it started with Gogo Batadze and Jalen Smith.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could start off with, with Goga because he was the one that stood out to me as far as his aggressiveness goes. He had a double-double, I think, in the first three quarters of this game. He was excellent in pick and roll, uh, just spotting up and doing his thing inside, being set by Halliburton, Benedict Matherin on that alley-oop too as well. I did not know Goga could get that high on a dunk. That so was <laughs> impressive to me. Just as a first time i close seeing that with Goga. And then Jalen Smith, I mean, we saw these flashes in Phoenix before when he got extended run, but... When he gets confident offensively, it kind of leads into an all-around great game for Jalen Smith, where he's a great rim protector. He's showed off his three-pointer multiple times. He's aggressive on the rebounds. I mean, he's a guy to me, just the more the more you give him run and the more you give him extended minutes, similarly to all these young guys we're talking about, Alex, like, he, he's a guy to me that this first week, if we're thinking about who's the third best player so far behind Halliburton and Mathurin through the first three games, I know Jalen Smith had an awful game against San Antonio, but And in the opener, and especially against the Pistons on Saturday night, I think it's fair to say he's probably the third best pacer as far as overall performance goes through the first week of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jalen Smith, he played bad in that first half against the Wizards, but really turned it around. And I I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt just because not expecting to play the five and Miles gets hurt, he has to kind of jump into a different position. And I think last night, by them starting Isaiah Jackson and Aaron Neesmith over Chris Duarte and Terry Taylor, it allowed Jalen Smith to kind of go back to that natural four position. I think he's been more comfortable with practicing that. So I know a lot of people project him as a center and I think he can be, he can do that. He can, you know, be fine in that role, but I also feel like he's kind of focused more on being the four. So having another big to play with him is probably more uh, up his alley in terms of what role it's going to get going to be. And I think Isaiah Jackson's a nice player to play next to him just because he's playing more of an inside game. You know, you put Terry Taylor out there, well, he's not going to be an inside player uh, in terms of what they're doing on the offense just because he's a little bit shorter. And we saw Terry on the perimeter quite a bit. So, you know, I, I think that one thing with Jalen Smith, it's like he had a really bad game against San Antonio, but he bounced back. Took it personal. He didn't like that. He played angry. 15 rebounds, three blocks, and 19 points. That's a heck of a performance and only had two fouls, you know. Isaiah Jackson got five blocks in that game. The team altogether had 15, but I think what it was really fun to see down the stretch was just Benedict Mathern going head-to-head against Jaden Ivey and Tyrese Halliburton kind of taking over there late in the game with some step-back threes, and then he had a nice little uh, shot at the end of the shot clock inside the paint as he took Isaiah Stewart off the dribble.
2: Yeah, Matherin to me, Alex. I mean, I watched Devin Booker up close throughout his entire career, just seeing him kind of go from being this 13th overall pick to coming off the bench to becoming a young star that wasn't getting respected in the league. And then now where he is today, one of the best young stars in the NBA. I I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but I have a very similar feeling watching Matherin that I did Devin Booker back in 2017, 2018, and the, those kind of early years of the Phoenix Suns watching up close because. The way he scores the ball and the way he's already mastered the veteran stuff as far as getting to the foul line, knowing where to pick his spots, knowing when to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, knowing when to go on the perimeter compared to when to driving inside. It's really rare what he's doing, Alex. Mm -hmm. I I mean, just – I don't want to get – like I said, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. He could get cold. But, uh, I mean, the way that he's just moving around the court right now – And the way he's scoring the basketball, has there been one bad game yet, Alex, summer league included, preseason included, where he's had one bad game offensively? I don't think there has been. No,
1: Uh, I I don't think there was. I was afraid it was going to be this Pistons game because he got in early foul trouble, right? Picked up two quick fouls, but didn't matter because he only picked up one more the rest of the game and he was able to drop 27 points on 10 of 18, shooting 5 of 8 from the 3. So it's like incredibly efficient.
2: It's the efficiency for me. Like he has almost a sixty true shooting percentage through the three games, averaging twenty-four points. He's giving a couple assists, a couple rebounds too. But the efficiency around fifty-eight percent—that's an elite number, especially for a rookie on high volume. Where he's the guy to me where the three pointers falling, and he's getting aggressive to the free throw line. He's a three-level scorer already in the NBA, which, which is crazy. Which is absolutely crazy. He's twenty years old, but he looks like a legitimate bona fide three-level scorer already in the NBA. And that's a guy to me that you can build your whole offense around. You can have him running sets for you. You can have him going to the basket and getting aggressive whenever he wants to. I mean, Rick Carlisle said it when I asked him about it after Saturday uh, post game. I I just said, "What stands out most to you about Benedict Mathurin so far, as far as his aggressiveness, scoring the ball?" And he said, "He doesn't act like a rookie. I mean, that's really what it is. He doesn't act like a rookie. He knows where to pick his spots in the court, and he just makes it look easy. Uh, I mean, Rick Carlisle was just giddy about him when I asked and." I think Paige Spence should be too. I mean, this has the makings of a guy who looks like a 20-point scorer as a rookie, and that's something we just never seen before.
1: Right. I mean, I want to get to Halliburton here a little bit later, but we'll 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 stay on Matherin because I think it's just so topical. Like it probably should have been what we led with, but you know, I, I think I could almost start every podcast just talking about him because he's been so fascinating and he looks well beyond his years. I mean, I, I tweeted out, Are we sure Matherin's a rookie? Like it, it really feels like he is a 30 year pro and one of the things that I've noticed too, it's like he is shooting the ball with confidence. He did not shoot the three-point shot very well in preseason. And so I was like, okay, maybe it won't translate to the regular season. Like maybe he's not going to be this great three-point shooter. Maybe he's just going to be 30 to 33 to 35% and going to be more of a driver. Well, it's like, no, he's been like, like you said, reading the defense and taking what they give him. And he's been hitting some pretty big three-point shots and, and and timely moments. And I, I think when he's hitting a shot like that with his ability to get to the free throw line, like he only took two free throws in that game against the Pistons, which was a low for what he had been doing in the previous two games. So he
2: should, he should have gotten to the free throw line a good three or four times too. They missed the yeah, calls. They did not call a lot. I agree with that. But
1: when he's able to knock down the the three point shot, it makes it so much easy for easier for him to have variety to his game because now the defense is on their heels. They're not sure if he's going to pull it from three or if he's going to get to the basket. And I mean, we already talked about this on our one of our previous podcasts, but like going back to the first game against the Wizards, like he just brought the ball up and just like stopped at the top of the key and pulled a three and and drilled it to cut the lead to five when they were down by eight, and that's just kind of what he has in his game. He's just a very confident player. I love that he was talking smack with Jaden Ivey. I mean, we can talk about that a little bit too, you know. And I love what he had to say in the post game press conference. Can you uh, remind everybody what he said there since you were uh, actually at the game?
2: Yeah. So Matherin was asked just about being picked sixth in the draft, and obviously Ivy went right ahead of him at five, and right away, he had the answer saying, I know everyone who's picked ahead of me in the top five, and quite honestly, I think that's so cool for him to say, and we just we saw it right away, just as far as his mentality be aggressive scoring and going right at Jaden Ivy. He went right at Kate Cunningham multiple times, too. The crazy thing to me, Alex, is that he carries himself already as the best player on the floor which is which is really cool. I mean, he really does carry himself like the best player on the court. And I left last night's game. I know Halliburton had a great game, too, and he took over late in that game. But I left Saturday's game, the arena, thinking to myself, I think Bennett Mathern was the best player on the court tonight. And that included Kate Cunningham. That included Tyrese. That included Jaden Ivey and all these young guys. Uh, I mean, that just says a lot to me about where his trajectory could be.
1: No, you're right about that. And it, it's funny because I think Matherin was ta- asked about playing with Halliburton more. I don't know if you asked that or not, but – uh, he said that he just, you know, wants to play with them more, get more opportunities together. But obviously we know they're not always on the court together because Matherin is still coming off the bench. But one key thing I thought here was Rick Carlisle riding the hot hand. Look, Buddy Heald only played 16 minutes last night against the Pistons. Benedict Matherin played 31 minutes. So even though Matherin's still coming off the bench, technically, he's getting starter-level minutes, right? And I personally think that's a huge sign to see. It's like we're still starting Buddy. We're not going to discredit him and kind of hurt his trade value to a certain degree by not – starting him and and demoting him per se, but you're also not going to allow him to get the minutes over Matherin because you're really trying to develop here. And I think we know Halliburton's confident himself. There's no doubt about it, but I think Matherin's revving off on Halliburton a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I think it's making it easier for Tyrese too on the court because now you're seeing defense, especially late in that game last night tag on the on the Matherin with multiple guys. And that's making it one-on-one switching matchups for Tyrese and that, that's going to make it easier for tires to get 20 and 10 most nights. And that, that's what's going to make this backward combination. I think Alex worked out so well.
0: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a
1: serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So let's let's get into uh Halliburton's game a little bit here because you know, on Friday night, he said he had a bad game and he had great statistics. But I would agree with him, actually. I I thought it wasn't a bad game or he played horrible, whatever he said. I, I didn't think it was a bad game. I just thought it was a subpar game for how he played overall uh, or how he usually plays overall because he was not good in a lot of those combinations. And it really took the fourth quarter for him to kind of get it going. And to me, it was just like, OK, this starting unit that they had out here, it was not playing well. They changed it up at halftime. They 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 benched Jalen and Chris Duarte and they brought in Benedict Matherin. And I believe it was Isaiah Jackson that started. It might have been Goga. I can't remember at that point. Um, but regardless, you know, they they changed it up, and then that unit went flat, and that whole time Matherin didn't touch a ball. But like Halliburton literally was so mad at Buddy Heald for that turnover that he had where the where the Spurs stole the inbounds pass and made the basket. Rick Carlisle had enough, too. He waved off Buddy Hill and was like, I don't want to hear it sit down. And so every every combination, most of that, Halliburton was with was just not playing good. But that fourth quarter, he turned it around, and I felt like he really took over in that game against the Pistons and kind of closed it for us. Even though Mather might have been the guy that got the lead for us and kind of extended it and that thing, I feel like Halliburton was the closer, and that's kind of what you want to see from him as he's trying to you know be the face of the franchise at this young team.
2: Yeah, and he's being aggressive offensively, too. There were some moments last night where I think he should have taken the shot instead of being passive. Like, there were some moments where he could have driven to the rim but he didn't want to go through the contact. He'll learn through that, I think, especially seeing Matherin up close. That's going to rub off them more and more. But, he, yeah, I think he's averaging about 17 shots per game the first three three games, and that's exactly what we want to see with Tyrese. And that's the big thing. I think if Tyrese, we see how efficient he is offensively. Score. He's around 60 true shooting throughout his career so far shoot more threes, be more efficient inside the arc. And he's a guy to me I think could be easily 20 and 10. He's putting up, I believe, twenty. I think it's 26 and 9 through the first Mm -hmm. three games, which is all-star-like numbers for Tyrese. We kind of expected it this year. But to see him kind of doing it already and being empowered to have that ultimate green light offensively, that's what's really cool here. And I'm actually looking at the number right now for us, Alex, just to see the two-man lineup between Mathurin and Halliburton. They have a plus 11.7 net rating. 118.1 118.1 offensive rating, the best number on the team for any mm. combination for offense. So when they're on the court together, they're putting pretty elite offense and and by far net rating-wise for guys that are playing the most minutes so far. Halliburton and Matthew are in the top two.
1: Yeah, I mean, they seem like a really good fit with one another, and, and that's what's great to see because, you know, you're hoping these are two major building blocks for the future of your franchise. And it looks like right now, um, you know Halliburton's given us more of a sample size, so we're kind of understanding of what uh, what he is as a player. But Mather and like, well, this is all new to us. Like we're only three games in. Like you said, don't want to be too early in talking. You know, talking him up too much. But at the same time, you have a hard time not wanting to just keep talking about it because it's so fascinating to see a rookie do this. You know, and, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you about because. This is a talking point that everybody is bringing up on social media. I think I've seen you bring it up. You've messaged me about it. And that is, should Benedict Matherin be starting or not? And I personally have uh, voiced my opinion on social media. But if you haven't heard it there, I have said that I'm completely fine with him coming off the bench still until Buddy is traded. But um, I know people have pushed back on that. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on in terms of if Matherin should be starting or not.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think the main reason why that buddy was starting in the first place was to showcase his value, but especially on nights like we saw on Saturday with Detroit where he was unplayable defensively. His offense was was inconsistent. So at that point, he's kind of a half-star player. If you're just considering like two stars, like one side of the ball, like he's kind of unplayable at that point. You go to Matherin, you know, you're going to get at least solid play on one side of the court. He's improving defensively there. And, and he gives you just the incredible part about Matherin That I can't get over still, and that's why I'm kind of on the fence and maybe leaning more towards your side right now, Alex. As far as keeping on the bench because he's putting up just super efficient numbers, like 19 points in 27 minutes. He put up 26 points in 28 minutes, 27 Mm -hmm. points in 30 minutes, like almost a point a minute that he's on right now, which is just incredible. It's the same pace he's been on since summer league, to be quite honest with you. And with how much of a scorer he already is, and how natural a scorer he is, he doesn't have to be coming off. Uh, in the starting lineup, you can still keep showcasing Buddy Heald and it, it just ride the hot hand like you saw last night or on, on Saturday night with Matherin where he got double the minutes of Buddy Heald. But I think you're also hurting Chris Duarte a little bit in the process here. I think you need to see Duarte with Matherin, with Halliburton. we barely seen him for the first three games. Obviously, Duarte had a huge rookie season last year, but he's averaging six points the first three games, down almost 10 minutes per game. Compared to last year, that'll work itself out, I imagine, as we get later on the season, Alex. But I think Buddy Healed he's more so impeding, in my opinion, Chris Duarte now than he hmm. has been at Mathurin, which is something that I think needs to get fixed pretty quickly.
1: That's a great point, and I thought that Carlisle tried to shake it up by starting Neesmith against the Pistons and, and bringing Duarte off the bench. I just I'm having a hard time figuring out what is the problem with Duarte. It's almost like he's too passive not sure if he should be as aggressive because last year like it was you know you you were you were just watching duarte not be afraid of the moment right he was going to take every shot that he could and so it was one of those things where you're just like okay uh it's duarte time like they're going to him to close out games and, and now it's like he's almost afraid to shoot uh it was just really difficult to watch him miss shot after shot and just not getting the rhythm and you're right i i i do feel like buddy's kind of in the way of that but it looked like he he looked better off the bench, I will say, against the Pistons. I think everybody looked better against the Pistons than they had the first couple of games that had been kind of struggling. So that could be just because it was the Pistons' third game in four nights and they had been traveling where the Pacers were able to stay at home and that kind of thing. But um, I just feel like Duarte right now, his confidence is low. It was good to see him get that nice dunk. <laughs> I think Quinn Buckner got pretty excited about that one. Uh, I think it was the third quarter, might have been the fourth, but – you know just good to see him get some shots in and he got like i think 16 attempts up last night was that how many he got 14 something like that it was a lot of attempts for um for uh Duarte and so now i'm just kind of looking over here like how are they going to find minutes for all these guys to be really effective and you don't want anybody stunning the growth of Matherin but you don't want to lose trade value with Buddy and then you got Duarte so i don't know how rick is going to properly manage giving them the, the right amount of minutes where they can kind of grow individually. But I think for Duarte, he's going to have to take a a lesser role than he had last year, but he's still going to have to find times to be aggressive when the time calls.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a hypothetical that I haven't had a chance to ask Duarte or in this yet, and I'll, I'll be sure to ask them about it sometime this week or next when they're back in town from the road trip. But I think maybe one hypothetical reason that maybe Duarte isn't showing much more offensively because maybe he's not used to being like the secondary option. Uh, I mean, Mathurin kind of has come in already been the alpha scorer that Duarte was last year. He kind of knew the opportunities he had. And now you see Mathurin take all these shots. Maybe it's kind of, he's not used to that. Maybe he's mm-hmm. just getting, getting more adjusted to being an off ball player. And we saw last year Duarte showed he's a lot more than an off ball player when he's getting more possessions like that. So I think it's just getting more used to playing off the ball. I mean, we saw Rick Carlisle last night play Duarte, in the same spot that Matherin was the first two games with all the second units surrounding Duarte and getting him as the focal point offensively. That could be the best way to get him going is to be your sixth man long-term. I think mean, that maybe could be the, the long-term play there. But it is interesting because like you mentioned, Alex, maybe you ride the hot hand most nights. You Whoever wins the minutes between Matherin, Buddy, and Duarte plays 30-plus minutes. I think more often than not, it's going to be Matherin. But I, I do wonder at what point, like we just mentioned, do they – this Rick Carlisle in the front office just decide, you know, TJ McConnell's taking minutes away from Duarte and Nemhart. you know, Buddy's taking away minutes from Mathurin and Duarte. Uh, the, the big question now, I mean, the big man question, I should say, is with Goga, he's having a good week, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. Where, how does Miles fit into that in this equation? I don't want to get too off topic here, Alex, for yeah. you, but I mean, I think that's the biggest question to me exiting out of week one for the Pacers is, these young guys, especially this rookie class with Nem Hurd and Mather, look very much legit. And you get to kind of like let take the training wheels off here pretty soon, maybe even more soon than they all expected there. And that can mean less McConnell, less Healed, less Turner. And that in the process that means more trade rooms too.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's what's going to happen. I mean it's it's inevitable, and I think we all kind of know that we're sitting back and watching this from a distance, just like okay, we're just kind of biding our time until a trade is made. But you know, I I think with with Nimhard, you can play him next to you can play him next to McConnell, right? You can play Duarte, Neesmith, and Ijax, Terry Taylor, whoever you want to play. But like you said, it's eventually there's just not enough spots. But he did talk about going 10 man, uh, a 10-man rotation would go eleven or twelve if he needed to. And and like Carlisle said, you know, everyone's got to be ready at all times. You never know when your number is gonna get called because this season there are no expectations. So you're just gonna have to figure out how you carve out your minutes and how, how you carve out your role with the minutes you're given. So, you know, Miles definitely coming back, you know, that'll probably impact Goga's minutes more than anybody's. I don't really think that, you know, Carlisle is going to take away jacks minutes or, or Jalen's minutes just because, you know, Goga has been playing decent. I think that they're looking at the long-term plan here in terms of who they want to see. And, you know, Isaiah Jackson had some nice moments over the over the last three games, you know, but it's just been kind of inconsistent. You, you can kind of tell he's a backup. But you know, when it comes to when it comes to buddy, it, it feels like he is definitely someone clogging the minutes of, of what you would like to see these other guys get. So that's where I'm at. But I, I felt like against the Spurs specifically, and, and the Wizards toward the end, when they went smaller, that's when they looked their best. And You know, the bigs have kind of been the storyline of how poor they've played. And it just kind of makes me wonder, like, you know, Rick Carlisle brought up how much they they miss Miles Turner being out there for their defense. But I I just don't think Miles is going to be the savior of that defense at the end of the day. Uh,
2: No, I think you, you saw it on Saturday. I mean, with how high scoring it was and especially how high scoring it was for the San Antonio game. The only way the Pacers are going to win games this year is if they win shootouts. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heel, Chris Duarte, you have all these running gun wings. Halliburton set them all up. You can score 130 points some nights if you do, and that's how you're going to win games. You're not going to win games by keeping teams under 100, plus, 100 points or so. You got to get 130, 140 plus points in the board to win for the Pacers this year. That's just is the simple way of going about it because their defense is awful. I mean, it, it does not look as good as it did at all last year, which is not a great thing to say. It's obviously early. There's no Miles Turner. But like you mentioned, Alex, I have a hard time seeing Miles making them even a competent defense. I mean, they look like awful right now. I have a hard time seeing Miles taking that to an above average level here. And I do think offensively, you have the dynamite already with Hal Burton, with Matherin. If Heald goes off, if Duarte goes off, Jalen Smith seems like a consistent 12 to 15 points now. You have the offensive foundation in place here to be a really fun team offensively. And I know it's not going to lead to a lot of wins, but these last two games, especially for San Antonio and Detroit for Saturday night, I mean, if you're not going to win a lot of games and you're going to have these competitive games and lose 60, 65 games in this way, that's kind of the perfect way for this season to go. I know it's early, but... If this is how the rest of the year is going to go for Indiana. I think it's a perfect way of going about it.
1: No, you're, you're exactly right. So I know we got to wrap things up here. It's been fun talking about the last two games, but real quickly before I let you go, 76ers, 0-3, probably one of the most interesting starts for them. I think everyone expected them to maybe win one of the first two games. Oh, them going 0-2, losing to Milwaukee and Boston was not a surprise, but they lost to the Spurs on Saturday night who had you know played their third game in four nights. So what are your thoughts on the Sixers matchup for the Pacers? And, you know, sh- should Pacer fans just kind of <laughs> expect a big loss here because of how angry the Sixers have to be?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the spread, I'm looking at the spread right now for this game. I think it, last time I checked, it was 11 and a half. I'm yeah. looking now. Yeah, it's currently at 11 and a half. And Joel Embiid, his point total is at, I think, 28 and a half. I would take the over there. I think he's going to have a monster game. Embiid oh, yeah. is because... Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest with you, Alex, I mean, this is just an awful matchup for Isaiah Jackson, for Goga, for Jalen Smith. You're going to have a pissed-off Joel Embiid come in there at 0-3. He put up 40-plus points a couple nights ago. He put up 30-plus today. Uh, I mean, he's he's in a groove right now offensively. He's going to get a lot of foul calls. You'll see James Harden and Tyrese Max put their points too. I think Philadelphia wins this game going away, but these are the kind of the losses that you just hope to stay close and you kind of just hope to see cool moments from Halliburton, from Mathur, and the rest of the guys.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I will say, lastly, I just I'm interested to see if the Cork Mas Batadze thing has any ripple effects from what happened during Eurobasket. We obviously know the reporting of that with the with the Georgian police and all that with Cork uh, Mas in the locker room after he was ejected. So something to monitor there. And obviously, uh, I, I love seeing Tyrese Maxey versus Tyrese Halliburton because those two often get compared to one another in terms of who's better at this time, you know, who's the better player moving forward and both are really exciting young players. So just cool to see how that head to head matchup goes. But Evan, thanks so much for hopping on to recap, the weekend for us. I know Pacer fans are, you know, really excited about what they saw on Saturday and how they got to see the team come back Friday. So, you know, we're all living on the high here. We're all loving Benedict Matherin and his rookie of the year campaign, early start is looking great. So work people find you out on social media and plug anything that you have that's coming out.
2: Yeah, so I have an Isaiah Jackson feature story coming out here in the next 24, 48 hours, so be on the lookout for that on basketballnews.com. But you guys can go ahead and follow me on Twitter if you haven't already at esidery, at E-S-I-D-E-R-Y. I cover the whole NBA. I'm based here in Indy now, so I'll be at the all, most of the Pacers games this year. So super fun team to watch. Like I mentioned, might not lead to a lot of wins, but this is the right start. This week is the right start, in my opinion, for this Pacers team, how they're going to be looking moving forward. Absolutely, Evan.
1: Thank you so much for your time. If you guys aren't already, follow me at Alex NBA Fachi at underscore FACCI, over on Instagram at uh, Pacers Talk, And I forgot to give our, our Twitter handle for our podcast. That's setting the pace three. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of our content coming out there. And leave us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And we'll be back Monday night to recap Pacers 76ers. It'll be me and Fachi. So thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you all later. Setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast.
0: Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. <laughs>